Section of the Underground Railroad, Part 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joanne Roshan. The Underground Railroad, Part 4, by William Still, Section 27. Aunt Hannah Moore. In 1854, in company with her so-called mistress, Mary Moore, Aunt Hannah arrived in Philadelphia, from Missouri, being en route to California, where she, with her mistress, was to join her master, who had gone there years before to seek his fortune. The mistress, having relatives in this city, tarried here for a short time, not doubting that she had sufficient control over Aunt Hannah to keep her from contact with either abolitionists or those of her own color, and that she would have no difficulty in taking her with her to her journey's end. If such were her calculations, she was greatly mistaken. For although Aunt Hannah was destitute of book-learning, she was nevertheless a woman of thought and natural ability, and while she wisely kept her counsel from her mistress, she took care to make her wants known to an abolitionist. She had passed many years under the yoke, under different owners, and now, seeing a ray of hope, she availed herself to the opportunity to secure her freedom. She had occasion to go to a store in the neighborhood where she was stopping, and to her unspeakable joy she found the proprietor, an abolitionist, and a friend who inquired into her condition and proffered her assistance. The storekeeper quickly made known her condition at the anti-slavery office, and in double-quick time J. M. McKim and Charles Wise, as abolitionists and members of the Vigilance Committee, repaired to the stopping-place of the mistress and her slave to demand in the name of humanity and the laws of Pennsylvania that Aunt Hannah should no longer be held in fetters, but she should be immediately proclaimed free. In the eyes of the mistress this procedure was so extraordinary that she became very much excited, and for a moment threatened them with the broomstick. But her raving had no effect on Messrs. McKim and Wise, who did not rest contented until Aunt Hannah was safely in their hands. She had lived a slave in the Moores family in the state of Missouri about ten years, and said she was treated very well, had plenty to eat, plenty to wear, and a plenty of work. It was prior to her coming into the possession of Moore that Aunt Hannah had been made to drink the bitter waters of oppression. From this point, therefore, we shall present some of the incidents of her life, from infancy and very nearly word for word as she related them. Moore bought me from a man named Macaulay, who owned me about a year. I fared dreadful bad under Macaulay. One day in a rage he undertook to beat me with the limb of a cherry-tree. 
He began at me and tried in the first place to snatch my clothes off, but he did not succeed. After that he beat the cherry tree limb all to pieces over me. The first blow struck me on the back of my neck and knocked me down. His wife was looking on, sitting on the side of the bed, crying him to lay on. After the limb was worn out, he then went out to the yard and got a lace, and he came at me again and beat me with that until he broke it all to pieces. He was not satisfied then. He went to the fence and tore off a paling, and with that he took both hands, cursing me all the time as hard as he could. With an oath he would say, Now, don't you love me? Oh, master, I will pray for you, I would cry, and then he would cuss harder than ever. He beat me until he was tired and quit. I crept out of doors and throwed up blood. Some days I was hardly able to creep. With this beating I was laid up several weeks. Another time Mistress Macaulay got very angry. One day she beat me as bad as he did. She was a woman who would get very mad in a minute. One day she began scolding and said the kitchen wasn't kept clean. I told her the kitchen was kept as clean as any kitchen in the place. She spoke very angry, and said she didn't go by other folks, but had rules of her own. She soon ordered me to come in to her. I went in as she ordered me. She met me with a mule rope, and ordered me to cross my hands. I crossed my hands, and she tied me to the bedstead. Here her husband said, My dear, now let me do the fighting. In her mad fit, she said he shouldn't do it. She told him to stand back and keep out of the way, or I'll give you the cowhide, she said to him. And then he sought down in a cheer and looked like a man condemned to be hung. And she whipped me with the cowhide until I slunk to the floor. He then begged her to quit. He said to his wife, She has begged and begged, and you have whipped her enough. She only raged wuss. Then she turned the butt-end of the cowhide and struck me five or six blows over my head as hard as she could. Then she throwed the cowhide down and told the little girl to untie me. The little girl was not able to do it. Mr. Macaulay then untied me himself. Both times that I was beat, the blood run down from my head to my feet. They wouldn't give you anything to eat hardly. Macaulay bore the, the name of coming by free colored children without buying them and selling them afterwards. One boy on the place always said he was free, but had been kidnapped from Arkansas. He could tell all about it how he was kidnapped, but could not find anybody to do anything for him. So he had to content himself. Macaulay bought me from a man by the name of Landers. Well, in Lander's hands I had the rheumatism and was not able to work. He was afraid I was going to die, or he would lose me, and I would not be of any service to him. So he took and traded me off for a wagon. I was something better when he traded me off, well enough to be about. My health remained bad for about four years, 
and I never got my health until Moore bought me. Moore took me for a debt. Macaulay owned Moore for wagons. I was not born in Missouri, but was born in Virginia. From my earliest memory, I was owned by Conrad Hackler. He lived in Grayson County. He was a very poor man and had no other slave but me. He bought me before I was quite four years old for one hundred dollars. Hackler bought me from a man named William Scott. I must go back by good rights to the beginning and tell all. Scott bought me first from a young man he met one day in the road with a bundle in his arms. Scott, wishing to know of the young man what he had in his bundle, was told that he had a baby. "'What are you going to do with it?' said Scott. The young man said he was going to take it to his sister, that its mother was dead, and it had nobody to take care of it. Scott offered the young man a horse for it, and the young man took him up. This is the way I was told that Scott came by me. I never knowed anything about my mother or father, but I've always believed that my mother was a white woman, and that I was put away to save her character. I've always thought this. Under Hackler, I was treated more like a brute than a human being. I was fed like the dogs. I had a trough cut out of a piece of wood for a plate. And after I growed up to ten years old, they made me sleep in an old house, standing off some distance from the main house where my master and mistress lived. A bed of straw and old rags was made for me in a big trough called the tan trough, a trough having been used for tanning purposes. The cats about the place came and slept with me, and was all the company I had. I had to work with the hoe in the field, and help do everything indoors and out in all weathers. The place was so poor that some seasons he would not raise twenty bushels of corn, and hardly three bushels of wheat. As for shoes, I never knowed what it was like to have a pair of shoes until I was growed up. After I growed up to be a woman, my master thought nothing of taking my clothes off, and would whip me till the blood would run down to the ground. After I was twenty-five years old, they did not treat me so bad. They both professed to get religion about that time, and my master said he would never lay the weight of his finger on me again. Once after that, Mistress wanted him to whip me, but he didn't do it, nor never whipped me any more. After a while my master died. If they had gone according to law, I would have been hired out or sold, but my mistress wanted to keep me to carry on the place for her support. So I was kept for seven or eight years after his death. It was understood between my mistress and her children and her friends, who all met after Master died, that I was to take care of mistress, and after mistress died I should not serve anybody else. I'd done my best to keep my mistress from suffering. After a few years they all became dissatisfied and moved to Missouri, 
they scattered and took up the government land. Without means, they lived as poor people commonly live, on small farms, in the woods. I still lived with my mistress. Some of the heirs got dissatisfied and sued for their rights or a settlement. Then I was sold with my child, a boy. Thus Aunt Hannah reviewed her slave life, showing that she had been in the hands of six different owners, and had seen great tribulation under each of them. Showing that she had been in the hands of six different owners, and had seen great tribulation under each of them, except the last, and that she had never known a mother's or father's care, that slavery had given her one child, but no husband as a protector or a father. The half of what she passed through in the way of suffering has scarcely been hinted at in this sketch. Fifty-seven years were passed in bondage before she reached Philadelphia. Under the good providence through which she came in possession of her freedom, she found a kind home with the family of abolitionists, Mrs. Gillingham's, whose hearts had been in deep sympathy with the slave for many years. In this situation, Aunt Hannah remained. In this situation, Aunt Hannah remained several years honest, faithful, and obliging, taking care of her earnings, which were put out at interest for her by her friends. Her mind was deeply imbued with religious feeling, and an unshaken confidence in God as her only trust. She connected herself with the A.M.E. Bethel Church of Philadelphia, where she has walked blameless and exemplary up to this day. Probably there is not a member in that large congregation whose simple faith and whose walk and conversation are more commendable than Aunt Hannah's. Although she has passed through so many hardships, she is a woman of good judgment and more than average in intellect. She enjoys good health, vigor, and peace of mind in her old days, with a small income just sufficient to meet her humble wants without having to live in service. After living in Philadelphia for several years, she was married to a man about her own age, possessing all her good qualities, had served a lifetime in a highly respectable Quaker family of this city, and had so won the esteem of his kind employer that at his death he left him a comfortable house for life, so that he was not under the necessity of serving another. The name of the recipient of the good Quaker friend's bounty, and Aunt Hannah's companion, was Thomas Todd. After a few years of wedded life, Aunt Hannah was called upon to be left alone again in the world by the death of her husband, whose loss was mourned by many friends, both colored and white, who knew and respected him. End of section 27